Well, uh, I'm Jamie. As I said earlier, I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we're picking up where we left off last Lord's Day in Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you in the pew in front of you, and you'll find Luke chapter 15 on page 874 of the church Bible. Chapter numbers are the big numbers, and the verse numbers are the little numbers. We'll be starting at the bottom right-hand corner of page 874 in verse 11. We're going to read through the rest of the chapter. So I'll read the whole passage, big long passage today, but a familiar one. I'll read the whole passage and ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and then uh, we'll get to work working our way through this wonderful, beautiful parable. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. This is the word of the Lord. Actually, you know what? Let's start in verse 1. Let's do verses 1 and 2 and then skip down to verse 11. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners And eats with them. Now skip down to verse 11. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. 
Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has returned back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look. These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you praise and thanks for this parable. Oh, it is for good reason that this has such staying power with us. For this truth has been written upon the heart of every person who is your son and your daughter in this place. And we ask, Lord, that by the power of your spirit, you would continue to write its eternal truths upon us. And that the seed of this word would take root in us and bear fruit through us. The magnificence and and glory of Jesus would be seen through it. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. There's an old saying that the one who tells the story rules the world. It means that stories shape us, shape our thinking, widen our perspectives, hone our feelings. God has made us a storytelling people. We can't get enough of stories. And the Lord Jesus is a master storyteller. And he put some of his most powerful teachings in the form of story, what we call parables. And the parable that we call the parable of the prodigal son is one of those stories. It's one of the best love stories among Christians, among the best stories in the whole of Scripture. And for good reason, this might be the best short story ever told. Now, that being said, I think it's poorly named. The main character of this parable is not actually the runaway son, the prodigal. The main character of this story is the father. That's apparent from the opening when Jesus said, A man had two sons. It's sort of like once upon a time there was a man who had two sons. So whatever else is to come, it's to be related to the man with the two sons. Additionally, we should give due attention to the context of this parable, which is why I had to start reading in verse 1 and 2. It's important for us to know why Jesus told this parable and to whom. 
So from the beginning of Luke 15, we're told that Jesus told these three parables in this chapter in response to the Pharisees and scribes grumbling over the fact that Jesus ate with sinners. He received sinners and ate with them. So with that in mind, here's the big idea of this parable, as best as I can tell. And that is to rejoice in God the Father's gracious love for the reckless and for the religious, enjoying all that is yours in Christ. To rejoice in God the Father's gracious love for the two sons, for the reckless son and the religious son, while enjoying all that God has given us in Christ. The three characters of this parable will serve sort of as our outline as we work our way through it. The first character, of course, is that of the reckless son, which we read about in verses 11 down to verse 20, the first half of verse 20. The second character in the parable will be our second point, which is the, that of the gracious father, who appears at the second half of verse 20 all the way down to verse 24. And then finally, we'll look at the religious son, Verses 25 to 32. So let's start reading again at verse 11 and 12. This is the setup of the parable. Jesus says, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. So this, this is more than just some kid asking his old man for some money. Sons ask their fathers for money. They, they do that. They're allowed to do that. This is not a son asking his dad for 20 bucks so he can take his girlfriend to Taco Bell. This is the son asking his father for his inheritance. Give me a share of that which is coming to me. Now, I don't know how much you know about how inheritance works, but generally, a person's estate is not dispersed until after that person is dead. So this father's youngest son is asking for his portion of the inheritance now, effectively telling his father, you're in the way of me getting what is mine. I wish you were dead. This is an outrageous request from the younger son. Give me the share that is coming to me. I'm tired of waiting around for you to kick the bucket. I need to get my hands on what is mine, your loot. The younger son wants his father dead so that he can do whatever he wants with his father's money. This is a great dishonor to the father. With such a request, the father very well may have turned his boy over to the elders of the city. And according to the law of Moses, a rebellious son could have been stoned to death for a request like this one. But that's not what the father does. Instead, the father suffers the indignity of giving in to his son's demands. And he divides his property between his two boys. And according to the law, the older son, he had two sons, his older son would get a double portion, so two-thirds of the estate would go to him, and a third would go to his younger son. Pick up reading of verse 13. 
Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. The younger son didn't waste any time. He got what he wanted from his father. He got his share, and it seems like he just liquidated it. You can see how much he valued his father's wealth. Not many days later, he runs off with the cash that he received from liquidating his father's property. And you get a sense here that he sold this on the quick. Usually things that are sold in haste are sold for cheap. He's just looking for cash. Anything he can get from his father's property. The picture Jesus leaves us with is this man leaving his father's house with his father in tears in his eyes with a duffel bag full of cash just ready to go. And he leaves the country. Cash in hand. Tears in his father's eyes. He's packed his bags. He throws up the deuces and he, he just goes. He's done with his old man. He's done with living under his father's authority. He's done obeying his father's rules. He's done working in his father's fields. He wants his freedom. He wants to live the way he wants to live. He wants to find himself. Jesus says he journeys to a far country. Now for a Jewish audience, this would have been outrageous. I mean, it's, it's one thing to wish your father dead. That's terrible. It's another thing to treat your father with such disrespect. That's deplorable. But to leave the Holy Land, that's just the height of folly. For a Jew, there's no promises out there. And so there in a foreign land, Jesus says he squandered his property in reckless Living. The wealth that God had given to his people wasted by this rebellious son among a Gentile land. It, it would have been hard for a Jewish audience to think of anything more shameful than this. In our day, this would be a little bit like a son demanding his portion of his father's successful business and then selling his inheritance, pennies on the dollar, and taking the cash and buying a last-minute first-class flight to Las Vegas, locking in on some high-rise apartment in some casino somewhere and throwing parties and buying designer clothes and rolling down the Vegas Strip in a Cadillac Escalade with a system He's just living the life that rappers make music videos about. And nobody's telling him what to do. His old man is as good as dead. He's up at the crack of noon. He has no job. He has no responsibilities. Every single day is a party. His Instagram is blowing up. He's living the life that he's always wanted to live. He's free. But since he's not making any money, and he's only spending money, Eventually, he runs out of money. That duffel bag that used to be full of cash is empty. The casino needs paid. 
The drug dealers need paid. The girls need paid. His Escalade gets impounded. Drug dealers are demanding their money back and making threats. He's broke. And then here comes the fall. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. When he'd spent everything he had, a famine hit that country. So the stock market crashes, the jobs all dry up, he's broke, he's homeless, he's hungry, he's alone. And Jesus says the only thing left for him is to hire himself out to someone, a citizen of that country. So here's this Jewish boy from a wealthy family hiring himself out to a Gentile. But not just any Gentile, a pig farmer. You got to understand that this is rock bottom for a Jewish boy from the Upper East Side. A Jewish audience would have understood that this is the bottom of rock bottom. A Jewish boy working for scraps in a Gentile land, in the slop of a pig farm. This guy went from rock star to pig slop. Jesus says he longs to be fed with the pods that were given to the pigs, probably carob pods or something, these pods that they would give to animals in times of famine. They were barely had any nutrition on them. Humans, they were edible. Humans could eat them, but my understanding is that they're not very nutritious at all. Point being, Jesus is trying to convince us here that the pigs are eating better than him. No one gave him anything. All of his friends are gone. Because all of his friends in Vegas weren't friends at all. He's broke. He's alone. His $250 designer jeans are covered in pig slop. And here is what Jesus wants us to see. That the reckless son is a metaphor for every sinner. We want our heavenly father dead so that we can do whatever we want. We want his stuff, his money, his provision, but we want it without him. And most certainly we want it without his rules. We've wished God dead so that we could be God. We've journeyed far from him, squandered our eternal inheritance with reckless living. So that's us. And like the younger son, God sent a famine into our lives. You'll remember from our time in the book of Lamentations, that God will use the least severe means to draw us to himself. And we see this in the, with the example of the prodigal son. 
a famine comes. To let him feel the effects of his sin, to let him be hungry, to let him be broke, to let him be alone. So that he has nothing to turn to except home. And so for how many of you is that your story? That your attempt to live your life without God has led you to the proverbial pig slop. That your life at some point was buried under the wreckage of a hundred ruined relationships, buried under the ash of a hundred burned bridges. Looking to the husks of this world to feed the appetite of your soul. I have a friend of mine whose moment came when he found himself on his hands and knees in a crummy apartment, snorting cocaine out of the carpet which he had dropped. This is where the reckless son's story should have ended. It should have ended here. He made this bed. No one forced him. He did this all on his own. But his story didn't end there. And friend, neither does yours. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. He came to himself. And he remembered his father. You wonder how long it had been since this young man had even thought about his father. But he remembered maybe the look on his tear-stained face as he walked away. He remembers his father's grace. He remembers that the lowest person in my father's house has it better than me. And he realizes the futility of his life. He feels the effect of his sin. And he is determined to return home to his father. He even rehearses what he's going to say when he sees his father. Father, forgive me for I have sinned against heaven, against you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Treat me as a hired servant. So he determines to return to his father and to confess his sin and to ask for mercy. Not to make excuses, not to blame anyone for what he has done. He leaves Las Vegas on foot, barefoot it seems. Turns from his life of sin and hitchhikes his way home. And now we come to the main point of this parable. Let's pick up reading in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, 
His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Of course he did. All the moms and dads in this room know that any day of this father's life that the the road to his house came into his periphery. He turned his head on the off chance that one day he might see his boy coming home, praying. And then one day, he did. He saw him coming down the drive, dirty, disheveled, shoeless, and broke. His boy who had squandered his property. And does the father pick up rocks to throw at him? Does the father feel anger seething in him? Does he call for the elders of the city? Let's get him. Does he go into his house and close the door to him? No, Jesus says, he ran to him. He felt compassion for him. Now, 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 this is an honor culture. And older men, distinguished men, did not run. They wore these long garments. And to run meant that you would have to pull up your garments, exposing your legs, which is what servants in the field did, which is what soldiers did. It would have been shameful for a wealthy man of status to expose his legs and to run, but he did, because this is his boy. Despising the shame, he ran down the drive and grabbed hold of his boy and kissed him. In the original language, it's like he keeps on kissing him. Over and over. Jesus is just stacking verb upon verb. The father saw him. The father felt compassion for him. The father ran to him. The father embraced him. The father kissed him. This boy deserved to be rebuked. He deserved the penalty of his actions. He deserved the elders' stones. He deserved to be rejected. He deserved to be sent away. But his father bore the reproach incurred by his sins. He took his son's disgrace on himself. And he took him into his arms and reaffirmed his love for him. This is what we're meant to see. The actions of the father towards the reckless son. Verse 21. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He confesses his sin. He he just begins to say what he's rehearsed. But before he can even finish his speech, his father interrupts in verse 22. He calls the servants together and says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. He's not going to be a hired servant. He's a son. 
His father clothes him in the best robe and puts a ring on his finger to indicate that he'd been fully restored to the family. This kid didn't even have shoes and the father's saying, no kid of mine's gonna walk around without shoes. Give him shoes, give him my clothes. Get those dirty clothes off him, give him my clothes. And the father throws a party, kills the fattened calf. Let's eat, everyone, let's celebrate. This, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. It's interesting, isn't it, that the son wished his father dead, but it was the son who actually died. And then when he came home, it's as if he was raised to life. But he left home to go find himself. And it was him who got lost. Because only with his father will he find who he truly is. Sinner, I hope that you're beginning to see the picture that Jesus is painting. You have turned from God. You have lived your life in the way that you want. You have wished God dead. But it is you who have died. You have taken the life he gave you, the talents he gave you. And you have squandered them with reckless living. And the Lord sent a famine. And eventually your expense account is going to dry up. And you will have nothing. And you will be alone. For there is no life outside of your heavenly Father. Sinner, realize your sin. Feel the weight and the pain of your wastefulness and return to your heavenly father. Confess your sin as the younger son did. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Now listen carefully. The younger son, he got some things right, but he got some things wrong. In his confession. Yes, it's true. He was not worthy to be called a son. But he would not have to work as a hired hand. He wouldn't have to earn his way in his father's house. And you can see this in the corrective of the father. The moment his boy returned to him, the father forgave him and clothed him and restored him. And your heavenly father will do the same for you. That God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to save sinners just like you. That Jesus Christ went to the cross enduring the shame of sin. The stoning that was deserved by the younger son fell on Jesus Christ. He took the stones in place of the sinner, bearing the penalty of his people's sin. And when you turn to him in faith, you will be forgiven. You will be embraced by God. You will be kissed by his glorious grace. 
and the dirty clothes, the clothes that have been stained by your reckless living will be taken away and you will be wrapped in the very robes of the righteousness of Christ. And you'll be restored to the family of God, treated not as a slave, but as a son. So friend, do that today. Confess your sin. Turn to Jesus Christ. If you've never done that before, do that before you leave this place. Find someone who looks like a Christian, who looks like a regular around here. I'll be standing by those back doors. Come and find me. I would love to tell you more about the Heavenly Father and His grace towards sinners like you. This is the Father's joy. It's a celebration. All the servants are feasting. All the servants are singing and dancing and rejoicing. And it's loud and it's joyous and there's all kinds of ruckus. And the noise is bouncing out into the fields where we learn that not everyone will rejoice when the younger son comes home. Let's not forget that there's another son in this story. And let's not forget that he's the reason Jesus told this story in the first place. Let's look at verse 25 to the end. Now the father's older son was in the field, and when he came, he drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother is come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Look at verse 25. Look at verse 28, but he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So underneath the celebration of the father's grace towards his reckless son is the resentfulness of his older son. The older brother comes in from the field, which, by, which I'll remind, remind you, he owned, by the way. He owned that field. It was held in trust until his father died. It's his field. Remember, the father dispersed it among his sons. So everything the father owned was his. The reckless son should have been shunned by his family, by his community. He should have been cut off from his father, from his people. He'd brought shame upon the household. He'd squandered his father's estate in a Gentile land. But instead the father throws him a party and the older son won't have it. He comes in from the field hearing Songs and dancing. And his, the servant explains, here's what's going on. Your brother came home. Your father killed the fattened calf because he's safe and sound. 
a sinner has been received. And a meal is being shared. You starting to see the connections? And yet the older son refuses to join in the celebration. Jesus even says he was angry. As far as he was concerned, that son, that my brother, he's dead. Family is better off without him. Look what he did. He has brought shame upon our household. He has wasted. He's cut himself off. He doesn't deserve a party. He deserves punishment. Send him back to the pigs. Now something I really want you to see, PBC, is that the father comes to the older brother same as he came to the younger one. The father comes to both of his sons. And he is entreating his older son and saying, come in, come in. Share in my joy over the sinner who repented. But his older son refuses. And if you look carefully at the older brother's response to his father, I think you'll see that the older son's anger has less to do with his reckless brother and has more to do with a resentment toward his father's grace. Look what he says. I've served you all these years. I kept the rules. I I stayed in the lines. You never celebrated me. You never gave me a young goat. This, this son of yours, notice how he's distancing himself from the father and from his brother. This son of yours squandered your property with prostitutes and you're celebrating him? The father's grace is offensive. That had to be a price. He can't just stroll on in like nothing's wrong. He can't be on equal standing with me. I kept the rules. He didn't keep any rules. I think what Jesus wants us to see is that the older son is just like the younger son. He did not love his father. He'd remain faithful to his father, but not because he loved him, but because, like his brother, he just wanted his father's stuff. And he went about getting it in a different way. He served his father to earn his place and inherit his father's estate. And in a very sad irony, it was his keeping of his father's rules which kept him from joining in on his father's celebration. He believed that his rule keeping made him more worthy of grace from his father than his younger son. 
And listen to the father's reply. Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. The word that is used for son here is a different word from the rest of the parable. It's a much more tender word. It's sort of like saying, my boy, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But you have to see that it is fitting, it is necessary, it is right for us to celebrate this, your brother. Notice how he's, again, he's pushing him back. Because before it was, this, your son. No, this, your brother. He's here. He's come home. He was dead, now he's alive. He was lost, now he's found. The BBC, this is why Jesus told this story. The religious need to see the glory of a father who gives grace freely. Grace to the reckless. Jesus wants us to see the glorious grace of our heavenly father who runs out to prodigals and embraces them and kisses them and clothes them and restores them and celebrates his grace to them. And it's at this point This story confronts all of us personally. We believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And yet there's an older brother in each one of us clamoring to do and to earn and to prove that we're worthy of this grace. There's an older brother in each one of us that hates that grace is free. It can't be that good. It can't be that free. We sing about justification by faith, but then we go off and live that like justification is by faithfulness. And we keep digging in the soil of Jesus' grave, trying to find the tablets of stone with the law written on them so we can take hold of them. But they're not there. The cross is enough. Do we believe it? And if we do, why do we keep on wanting to prove ourselves? Why do we keep looking for ways that we can show that we're good enough, that we're better than others? Why do we have to have metrics? Because the religious man, the older brother, needs metrics. And grace gives none. Our Savior said, it is finished. And yet we keep wanting to climb back up on the cross and finish it for him. So we are the younger son, yes. But you need to see, friends, we are the older brother. Neither of them wanted their father. Both of them saw their father as a means to an end. 
The younger brother used reckless life to get the life that he wanted. And the older brother just used rule-keeping, religion, to get the life he wanted. And what you need to know is that the Father's grace is the cure for both. Grace is the cure for the younger brother's recklessness. And grace is the cure for the older brother's religion. Both sons need to live in verse 41. You are always with me and all that I have is yours in Christ. So Christian, when you are feeling tempted towards recklessness, toward a life of sin, you need to hear your heavenly father saying, all that is mine is yours. The escape you're looking for through drugs, the power you're looking for through illicit sex, the financial success you're looking for through lying and stealing and manipulation, it's all yours in Christ. When you're tempted towards rule-keeping metrics to prove something, you need to hear your father saying, all that is mine is yours. The reputation that you're looking for from being strong is already yours in Christ. The control that you're looking for by doing the right things is already yours in Christ. Christian, look at your feet. You're wearing the shoes that were bought for you by the blood of Christ. Look at your hand. You're wearing the ring that proves that you've been restored to the family of God. Look in the mirror. You're dressed in the robes of the righteousness of Christ and God is fully pleased with you. There's nothing to work for that isn't already yours in Jesus Christ. All that is his is yours. What can sin offer you? that you don't already have in Christ? What can religion offer you that isn't already yours in Christ? So you're free. You're free to come in and rejoice. You're You're free to sing and dance and celebrate God's grace to a thousand prodigals. Preach this parable to yourself every day, morning and night. Hear your father saying to you, all that is mine is yours because of Jesus Christ, my son. And all that is left for you, dear Christian, is the celebration, is the joy, is the song, is the dance. And that is what makes this the greatest story ever told. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you please forgive us? We prodigals, we reckless, we religious. For we have squandered our inheritance with loose living. We've squandered our inheritance by rule keeping. We've despised you and saw you as a means to an end. 
Lord, it seems to me many times, at least in my own life, I'd have received heaven without you. Would I have even noticed? But Lord, you are life. You are everything. You are the all in all. And we have sinned against heaven, against you. Please forgive us. And fill us with your Holy Spirit to see the glories of Jesus anew, to redeem us and to unite us to himself. And through this union, to give us all that we need or want. Would you make us your people wholly unsatisfied until we are satisfied in Jesus? That we would we would have the wisdom to trace what it is that we want back up to you. Give us grace to enter into your joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand to your feet? And I have the privilege of reading over you an assurance of pardon. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, whether you're reckless or religious, God offers you an assurance that you have been forgiven. And today's assurance comes from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Now let's sing and give thanks.